On this episode of I'd Rather Be Scripting, hosts Ash and Carrie talk about a new way to manage your Z shell prompt without slowing your shell down. And we discuss a follow-up to a conversation we've had previously about coding on the iPad, this time with a native app for local JavaScript development. All that and many other technology tangents coming right up. Hello, Ash. It's been uh, we're we're on a we're on a nice cadence here. It's a, it's been only another two weeks. <laughs> we successfully showed up three times in a row. I feel like we we've got something going here. I, and what I actually look forward to is uh, that we absolutely we always remember to comment on this every time we start. <laughs> Just be amazed that we're doing it once again. It's so I don't know about you, but it's like always the number one it's always a crazy shock how quickly a week or two comes back around like a like it's almost october and it's like how is this even possible but um even more astounding to me that um things on the calendar actually managed to happen (laughs) yeah for sure and uh you know i was just telling you a moment ago um I, I ran a, a kind of like a 5k race this morning from uh, mm-hmm. Southern Brooklyn into Fidei, uh via a tunnel. It's called Tunnel to Towers. And uh, there's a whole story behind that. I'm not sure I'll dive into it because I don't even know if I could do the story um, justice. Uh, uh, but the, you know, just kind of in the lead up to running that race this morning, I was chatting with someone who's a, um, a developer in the ML and AI space. And we got to talking about, uh, you know, developer assistant tools and one thing led to another. And I think I basically rehad our uh, episode two podcast from two <laughs> weeks ago about GitHub Copilot, like writing, uh, writing uh, tutorial content and then testing it and all of that. So, um, yeah, it's it's been kind of fun to just kind of uh, take the time to do a little bit more thinking on some things that in our day to day. You might think, oh, hmm, that's a thing that Copilot's doing, just as one example, right? Right. And then kind of like, ha- just kind of dive in and have a little bit more, um, like, deeper thinking about it, kind of talk it out a little bit more. And then I'm, I'm finding that that starts to seep into other conversations I'm having in real life. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, it, it is nice. Um, I, granted, COVID is still a thing. And I mean, it's it's by no means uh, gone from our lives. But I, I was actually in San Francisco uh, the previous week. And um, it was it was days full of meetings with, with coworkers. But it was kind of interesting to be able to actually, you know, chat and leverage some of the stuff like talking about AI or GitHub Copilot, you find it's it's funny how often it comes up into the conversations. And it was nice having those conversations in person again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so I, I think uh, kind of getting this that second episode out as well was the first time I'd kind of really remembered to go out and then, hey, uh, actually share <laughs> the episode with people and I got some nice feedback as well. So, you know, for the few folks that, that reached out to say kind things, uh, I really appreciate that. And I know Carrie yes. does too. Um, but I think it was <laughs> in some ways, right? Like I was kind of joking a little bit about the last episode because it was kind of like thrilling audio content as we tab our way into autocompletes and VS code. <laughs> writing tutorials in node and express and it sounds it sounds very sort of like how how could this be um possibly interesting to anyone and i'm sure there's large swaths of the universe that are like hi why would i ever listen to that but right 
did actually get some feedback that was like, you know, this is like right uh, down the middle of like not too hypey, not too like deep in the weeds where you're just like telling me literally what you're coding as you live code on over audio. And so that that was kind of like really, um, I'll say motivational for me to hear oh, yes. something so kind that early on. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's always, a, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's a tough balance in terms of like, really, how could anyone be interested in like, oh, we're pressing tab and this is what comes up. But it is, it is nice to hear that that is, that the topics and stuff that we're talking about is, is interesting. <laughs> yes. And this time around, I think you grabbed on to yes. some sort of concept that I had mentioned or you had mentioned in a previous episode. Uh, and I- I'm actually going to let you tee this off because I-, I don't even want to get it wrong from the get go. Uh, but all I know is that we're going to be in the command line and I'm already excited. Yeah. So we're in the command line um, and I was just browsing around actually the, uh, a few hours ago, right? Um, just looking around to see what kind of cool um, Z shell stuff is out there. Cause I know you're big into Z shell. Um, I actually come from the fish world, but ever since I got my new M one Mac and I shouldn't, I should stop calling it new because it's several months old by this point, but um, it had Z shell set up as the default. Right. And so I never, um, I'm actually fine with that and haven't had to go back to fish, uh, which is probably a little bit of heresy to say from a, for, for any fish users. Um, apologies. I love fish, but Z shell is pretty good too. Um, and, but one of the challenges is that I've always found is I love having customized prompts and um, the difficulty there. Um, I don't know about you, but is if I'm inside of a Git repo in a branch, maybe there's a few commits left over, um, all of a sudden my prompt just becomes like the slowest part of my terminal. I'll run a command and then it'll just be sitting there computing the prompt for me before it comes back. And that gets really um, perhaps death by a thousand cuts a little bit. Like it's not bad, but it's also like, there's got to be an easier way or like in, in the current instance that I've been in, I've just dealt with a really simple prompt because I haven't wanted to go through the, the effort of trying to set up a complicated prompt and then have it take forever. And so I was just browsing, I think this was on Reddit um, and came across um, this particular plugin and it's called spaceship. Um, and the, the web address is spaceship dash prompt dot S H um, and I'll actually uh, see if I can chat, uh, throw, it in, throw it in our chat window. Um, but it's really, um, if you're at all familiar with other similar things, um, there's like the Starship plugin for Z Shell, and it's another kind of let's make cool prompts and um, really customizable, um, really nice and simple to build. Um, it has its own CLI for adding all these sections. The thing that struck me the most um, is this idea of asynchronous prompt. And so the cool thing that I ran into is if you scroll down a little bit on this page, there's a, a demo video of this thing rendering out some really cool looking prompts. It uh, it knows, uh, you know, your Git repo and all of this other stuff. Um, and you can set up all sorts of customizations. But the coolest bit is that it is instantaneous and then it populates the prompt in after it has let you start typing, which I didn't even know this was possible <laughs> in Z shell 
or in any terminal is like if you're fast enough, you can just blow blow past it and keep going, but it never gets in the way. If you just wait a second, it'll eventually populate in the whole prompt. But it's really like um, these, you know, parts of like a web page where you might see it pop in a, se- a split second later. Um, and it just never gets in the way of you actually doing your work. Um, and I know we had talked about that. It was either one or two episodes ago about having prompts that take forever. And I thought I would um, bring it up because there's some really cool, interesting things in there as well. It's not just a asynchronous thing, but it is kind of batteries included. Um, and um, so, but I just wanted to bring that up and and maybe hear your initial impressions. Yeah, I'm as I'm looking at this Jeff uh, play over and over again <clears throat> on their website. It's it's really interesting, and I'm just trying to soak in like everything it's doing. And they they have a short list of features like that they're touting uh, right under that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it includes some things that you might expect right from certain types of uh, let's say I don't know uh, command line augmentation tools. I guess I'll say. Um, so like things like clever host name and, and username displaying or repository statuses. Uh, it, apparently it supports both Git and Mercurial. Um, mm-hmm. Runtime environments for various languages as well. Um, <laughs> it kind of goes on into a few other things, but it even does battery level and status. I'm, I'm curious. That's really interesting to me. I want to see that happen. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's a really good reason why I'd want to do that in the command line. Uh, and it doesn't take any convincing for me to get excited about something like that. Uh, but yeah, also an indicator for jobs in the background. This is an interesting one because uh, mm-hmm. I have some, let's say, for example, when I when I get a new Mac, I have a whole set of uh, shell scripts and eventually node scripts. And what it does is like, I'll, I'll get a new Mac pull a, I, I'm going to forget the exact steps, but basically I've got this repo out on GitHub and I can pull that down uh, just with the basic tools that you get on a fresh Mac OS install. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it'll run like a basic shell script and until it starts getting certain things set up. And in my case, typically the one of the first things I'll do is, you know, well, in the past I'd switch over to Z shell. Now Mac, that's the default. That's already taken care of. <laughs> it's already taken care of, so I can cross that out of my script next time. Uh, but then I'll I'll grab a oh oh my Z shell is is that how you say that? No. So that's like a, a command line augmentation tool for Z shell. It's been around for a long time. I'm a big fan. Uh, and then from there, it'll you know that this my sort of Mac initialization script, if you will, will start doing a bunch of other stuff like install the latest version of Node. Mm-hmm. Uh, by using a command line tool like NVM. Uh, I happen to use the one called N, which is annoyingly named because there's <laughs> no way to say that. that. <laughs> yeah, the only way I can talk about it is in the context of the other tools that it is not. Uh, but N is uh, like NVM, but not. And I can't tell you why I chose that one, but it's just the one I happen to use. Uh, so anyways, one of the things about all of those shell scripts running on a new Mac uh, is then they're going, you know, rapid fire. They're pulling each other. Once the first one goes, it's kind of like snowball, like all they pull in each other kind of, you know, run one script after another right. with different, you know, run times. And uh, it's some of them, once they're done, I, I know I haven't finished the script in the right way to exit out and give me back the command line. Right. And right. so sometimes it can be tough because one, like something's running and I can't tell, are, are, are you done, done? Or 
or, or and I'm just still not, thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it just thinking, or have I just like programmed this incorrectly to the you know where uh, you know it's done everything? It's just not told me that. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I'm reading too much into a single bullet here, but for spaceship prompt uh, indicator for jobs in the background sounds pretty compelling to me. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it's got a lot of. Um... A lot of batteries included to, to maybe use an overloaded phrase, but given that we were also just talking about batteries, that's not just about battery level, but <laughs> it's got all sorts of um, developer um, features built in, like like you're talking about the showing the, the, the processes that might still be running, which I do find val- valuable too, is because there's quite often, like I'm in the same boat as like, is it just hung here? Is it waiting for me to hit hit anything? Or, you know, do I have some some process that just is sitting there in the background waiting to wake up so that bit i haven't actually gotten into um because i haven't i just installed it um earlier today so i haven't actually gotten any heavy processes running on it yet um but i'm looking forward to it um just to see what all it can what all it can do but already i can tell um so like the batteries one for example um one, it you can treat that one as completely asynchronous. So it doesn't, uh, I'm assuming it's making an OS level call to Mac OS somewhere, but who wants to wait on a battery indicator if that's going to take, you know, even a few, few milliseconds. Um, but once it does pop up, it's like to the left of my prompt and it says, oh, you're at 92%. And oh, by the way, it has a little charging indicator. So I know I'm plugged in. And I suppose you could say, okay, well, that's not a huge deal, but um I tend to like to run my um, shells in full screen, get rid of all of the cruft around it. And so I can kind of focus on it. So like at that point, my toolbar where my battery indicator is out of the way. Um, So having it sitting inside my terminal is, is very nice because quite often, otherwise I'll have to go wiggle my mouse or go to the top of the screen and say, okay, tell me where I'm at. And I, maybe less now that I'm on an M1 machine because the battery lasts for so long. Um, but I can say I've been on a, an Intel machine the last week and I had kind of forgotten the pain of like two hour long battery run times. And so I was always going up there and wiggling and saying, okay, how much time do I have left before this machine just completely and utterly dies on me? Um, so even having that in the, in the terminal was it, I think is going to be relevatory. <laughs> yeah. And, I wonder too, uh, uh, I don't know if this is just me, but sometimes I found that I'll leave my Mac in my home office and then be in another part of my apartment and then shell in from my iPad mm. through an app like Panics Prompt. Yes. And oh, I love that app. Yeah, it's a great app, right? And then like, what's fun about it is that, again, as I've mentioned probably multiple times, certainly in the first episode we did a few weeks ago, uh, I want to code on my iPad and mm-hmm. sometimes if all I'm trying to do is terminal stuff, well, like, okay, if I have a great terminal application like prompt, then I can just kind of sidestep most of the iPad, which I don't want to do, but I have to, because I can't do a lot of those things on the iPad for iPad policy reasons, I guess. So instead, like just being able to shell in from like yeah. across the house means, you know, it, I get the, the power of the Mac, but at the same time, like there are going to be certain things about the Mac since I'm, I'm, I'm only seeing it through the terminal that I won't know. So you can imagine like having that battery module show up in your prompt would be super useful. Uh, because like one, maybe (laughs) if I'm ever worried 
in a situation like that, hmm, did I leave my Mac plugged in or not? Uh, and I'm sadly too lazy to walk across <laughs> the apartment and I, I can at least, <laughs> I can know it at the command line. And you know what? I'm going to say that's valuable. It's valuable. It is. And and I am in the same boat as you. Like for me, it's um, I, um, the house that I'm I, I live in now is a split level. And so quite frequently, and I was actually doing this yesterday, is I'll have one of my laptops upstairs and and doing some work and but simultaneously remoted into another system that's in my office, which is downstairs. So, you know, nice separation of work life a little bit or trying to so that I'm not always staring at my work environment when I'm in my bedroom or or vice versa. But um and again, maybe it's a bit lazy. Um, I could certainly, uh, you know, going up and down the stairs is not that big of a deal. But if it's, I don't know, midnight, <laughs> the last thing I want to actually have to worry about is, okay, did I leave it plugged in? What's is it actually charging or whatnot? Um, and so having that information is is, is definitely useful because um, at least terminal or SSHing is a little bit better than um, or, or way better latency wise than like screen sharing. Um, which is always driving me up the wall with how slow it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think in those times where I can just access via SSH, like they are moments where I'm really just trying to do something that's, you know, easily achievable um, via the command line anyways. But yeah. ha- having a little bit more powerful environment there, I think it is useful. Mm-hmm. The other things that I've noticed um that I can already tell is going to be valuable, at least for me, for me is um, especially when in my personal projects is I tend to um, uh, in, in my GitHub repos, I'll be working on various branches, but I don't always get back to them the next week or even the next day. Like it's, there's, there's droughts between all the, all the working that I'm doing, but it's handy to get back to like, Oh, here's the branch you're currently working on. Um, but it also pulls out and picks up, um, like version information. So it's pulling things from package JSON to, to give me information about what I'm in. What's my current node runtime looking like is, is it 16 or 17? So there's definitely a lot of stuff in here that, although I've, you know, just installed it and already gushing about, about this prompt and like a prompt is such a minor thing in terms of the shell of getting all the other stuff done. Um, but I can already tell it's going to be really handy for making sure that I'm like in the right environment. I'm on the right branch. I've got the right version of node. Um, and it doesn't get in my way. I can start typing immediately if I'm in the middle of something and I don't have to wait 30 seconds or it's usually not that bad, but it feels like it sometimes. So do you have any idea of, but you know, once you've got this installed and you've had a little bit more time playing around with it, like what are some specific areas that you think you'll explore? Are you going to just kind of start with your getting started and see where it takes you? Or do you have like a specific thing in mind? Yeah. So I did their getting started um, really quickly. And if there's any bit of feedback I have is one, it's like, there's a little bit of like the installation is not just like adding something to Z shells plugins or oh my Z shells plugins. There's a clone the repo. Um, and um, you have to make sure you have Powerline fonts installed, which most of us already do, but just, you know, there's a few, pre-checks there. Um, but then the getting started guide has you, oh, here's an initial configuration um, example, which is great. Um, but then it is depending upon some of my Z shell plugins that you may or may not have installed. And so it's like, okay, how do I get to the the version that they're showing in, in the, the video on the front page 
there's a little bit more work to do if you actually want to get it there. Um, and of course, like anything prompt wise, you're always like tweaking and then exiting and then reloading your terminal to see, well, okay, did this actually work? So I think that getting started could probably be um, accelerated a little bit, but even then it's like, it wasn't hard to get into. I think from like future exploration, um, I'm big on the JavaScript side of the house. So I've already got the the package JSON and NVM set up that went swimmingly. But I'm also investigating Swift um, development for, for iOS and Mac development. And I can already tell that there's some things in here that look like uh, it talks to Xcode and other things like that. So I'm going to be very curious to see, like, is there anything else in here that can unlock that particular environment um, to, to improve my um, per, uh, developer velocity there? Oh, that's really cool. And looking at, I, I see what you mean about the, the getting started for sure. And kind of clicking through to their FAQ, it looks like that question must have come up enough that like that's the first. <laughs> yep. Why doesn't why doesn't my prompt look like the preview is the first uh, thing that they have um, listed in the FAQ. So if someone's taking uh, Spaceship and installing it and wanting to get it up and running exactly like what you see in their um, their video preview. Uh, click through to the FAQ, which is in the top level nav, and it, it walks you through a few like those uh, kind of prerequisites. So like, for example, in, for the terminal, they're using iTerm2, uh, which, you know, for someone like me, I, I always just use the defaults. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I know that's not usually the, the cool popular option, but for me, it's always been fine. So I, I just <laughs> use the, the Mac OS terminal app. Uh, but they have uh, like a list of things about the terminal and the theme and the font that they're using. Uh, and then a little bit about shell configuration, which is interesting because they, they link to, what is this? How do you say this person's name? Dennis Dovins. That's a great question. Dot files. So dot files, by the way, are like their whole sort of like a whole kind of like universe of things that we could talk about at another time. Yes. Uh, that that Mac initialization script that I mentioned earlier in, installs my own personal dot files, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone because they're definitely just for me. <laughs> uh, even though if you dig around on GitHub, you will find them. Uh, but yeah, like there, there are more battle tested, hopefully bulletproof uh, and maybe following best practices type of dot files out there. And this is one of them uh, in the FAQ. So it's just Dennis Do Dovin slash dot files on GitHub. And I guess you need to go in and install all of those dot files to get Spaceship running the way uh, the preview shows. But they have a few other things in there too, like syntax highlight highlighting for Z shell, as well as um, auto uh, Z shell auto suggestions, which I suppose are, th those are probably both Z shell plugins, I assume. Yeah, as far as I can tell, they're both plugins that, that should be, um... I say it should be relatively easy to add. I haven't actually looked at their install steps. I will say that I haven't gotten all the way to the final, like, oh, put all, put all these things in, and you can still get something that is still um, close to what you see in the video file, but it's not necessarily exactly what they've got with like some of the auto-suggestions going on. Um, I do like the fact that they list out and say, here's how I got here, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is funny that that's, that's had to be the question that gets answered or gets asked immediately. It's like, why doesn't it look like that? Um, and you have to go through and have this as your first thing in the FAQ. Well, yeah. And this stuff is tough because like not, I mean, it's, it's one of the like configuring your terminal 
application and your prompt and your whole shell environment generally you do that exactly once for every mm-hmm. machine you ever buy and for <laughs> a lot of us that's not like something you're doing every year or every two years yeah and so it's really easy to forget what did i do last time to get me where i was like you know and i like doing fresh installs when i get a new mac Yes. Except for my terminal. And that's why I wrote yes. that whole shit. All these scripts I keep mentioning. I wrote those because I'm like, I just kind of have my own way. And I really don't want to rock the boat on that. I have, you know, especially like my uh, z- uh, my Z shell RC file mm-hmm. is full of stuff that is like useless to all people. But me, they're just like basic, like a lot of aliases, you know, for things that I just have remembered as aliases and don't want to remember the commands. Uh, and, you know, a handful of other things like, you know, basic settings of oh my Z shell uh, and a few other things like that. So, um, yeah, by the way, I just want to can I throw this out here real quick? Yes. Uh, while we're talking about Z shell uh, favorite tip and yes, um, please favorite this favorite silly tip. Um, and by the way, uh, we should try to prevent me from. <laughs> sharing this tip on every episode because I'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> I always like mentioning this because it took me a long time to, for it to sink into my brain. This is very, I'm already overselling it, but here we go. <laughs> so, you know how, for example, you're going to make a new directory and then you need to CD into that directory every time. It's like, so you yes. do make directory my app, then mm-hmm. CD my app. Well, in Z Shell, you get this nice little shortcut called take. T-A-K-E, and it does hmm. both of those things. So you just do take my app, and it does both the creation of the directory and the CDing on your on your behalf, saving, <laughs> saving you minuscule amounts of time. But uh, anyways, like, that's the kind of fun kind of little things that are baked into Z-Shell that, like, if you really start to peek into it a bit, like, there's a lot of nice little helpers like that. Yeah. Well, I will say, and this is a follow-on from the previous one of got to save our pinkies from hitting tab all the time um, for GitHub uh, Copilot. Um, If you're creating lots of apps, especially when you're doing developer relations and pumping out lots of tutorials, I don't know about you, but saving even one step in that process is incredibly valuable, at least for me. Um, and so, yeah, if I can, now that I have Z shell on this Mac is like, okay, I have to, re- I will have to remember to use take because the other is so deeply ingrained, make do or CD or what have you, but using take um, sounds like a, uh, a useful thing. We should probably have, it'd be a valuable um, topic at, at some point is like, our favorite Z shell tips and tricks and plugins that, that are helping us be, be more productive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, at some point I want to just like talk about some of my dumb aliases that I have that are mostly there just to help me like not have to, I'll, I'll, I'll give you just a, a small hint of one, which is I, yes. I've had, I've had one for years called uh, Z. Uh, so Z S H dash read. Uh-huh. Um, it's not even well named because like if you were to think like what does that mean right. well what it means is i want to i want to just uh cat my uh z shell rc so that file okay. like sometimes that makes I'm, sense sometimes i may have gotten very smart with my aliases and like too smart and then I, <laughs> i'm like wait what did i what's the shortcut for that again and then i need to just read through my rc file real quick and so like that'll just like run the ca- I think it runs the cat command or something similar anyways. 
on my ZSHRC file. Mm -hmm. And then I can read through it. And so I basically have like the equivalent for all CRUD for that file. So whether it's, I mean, I don't need to create, I guess, uh, I don't think I have that one anyways, but I do have an update and certainly I don't have a delete because that's the last thing I want to do. We want to keep our settings. <laughs> so my, I, I said I had crud, but I mostly just have ruh. Ruh? <laughs> I, have, I have the R and the U. Read and update. Those are the two things that I do. Uh, and so anyways, like those are the kinds of stuff that like, yes, the 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 commands right that they're they alias to like for read oh i'm using less instead of cat but anyways so for the z shell read command or alias it's just um yeah it just runs less on that file and then for uh the update one it is running nano uh which is my Mm. default uh, Default text editor. editor in the terminal yeah well i mean already that sounds more useful than i mean my typical is is having to type the tilde and the slash and the dot. And that's just far enough apart on the keyboard that even today and trying to uh, play around with the prompt a little bit, um, I have typed that in very odd ways several times already, just because my, uh, my fingers don't want to hit them right or, or what have you. And so anything I could do to avoid typing those keys again, that sounds like a very useful alias. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. Um, so I, I guess you've convinced me as well. I want to try this out. Uh, I think there's a, it's interesting because it feels to me like in the last, let's say four or five years, there's been a lot of interesting uh, investment and time spent in mm-hmm. creating better command line tools. Yes. So I, I would I would put in that bucket, for example, uh, a CLI company called Fig. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently worked with them uh, on a collaboration with the the Nihilus CL, CLI at work. Uh, and also, would you say that the fish shell would fall into that bucket? Yeah, I mean, it kind of um, grew out of that, of being a very much batteries included um, environment, um, not so much as from a, a terminal perspective, but just making it more productive and really elevating things like, oh, let's make plugins to be first class citizens. And what I did like about fish, um, which is kind of a double edged sword. Um, the one biggest thing that I really liked about fish was that it's scripting language felt a bit more modern if that's a good way to phrase it, or closer to how I would think about scripting in terms of like, oh, I'm writing code in JavaScript or what have you. Like it wasn't some of this arcane um, uh, symbol soup that bash scripts, for example, can tend to get lost in is like, I'm, I'm, I see your code. I see a string of characters. I'm going to have to go and, and some, cause you can't search these on Google anyway, because percent sign returns, who knows what. So read the, read the man, man pages and try to, guess a little bit as to what you're doing here because xyz is you know i've got a dollar sign and a asterisk and all these other things um so fish's language was a little bit nicer than that but on the flip side um the challenge i found with fish is everything every tutorial that you get when you're talking about anything in the terminal on mac or linux is assuming you're sitting on something that is bash compatible And so I would take the copy and paste of, oh, here's how you install this or run this particular thing. 
and immediately get thrown back with syntax errors because, oh, fish didn't support this. And I think they have improved that more recently in a later version than the one I had been playing with. Um, they might, I, I don't know if they go out to bash now and try to source it in, but it was, it was a little bit frustrating. And so I could see like, if you were trying to sell this to, as a productivity tool, but you were used to how bash did things, or you did a lot of copy and paste of commands from other sources, like that was going to be a roadblock because now you have to think about, okay, I need to know fish's language to even be able to translate this over. So even though it thought about plugins as first-class citizens and like even its configuration, it had a whole web page instead of just del delving into the terminal for some of this stuff. It was really nice and really well thought through. But there was that obstacle of, okay, everything that I'm reading online does not work unless uh, unless that developer was kind enough to say, oh, if you're on fish, do this. Um, so it, it, it's part of that, but it, it was kind of only halfway, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that... <laughs> Having people out there think through the equivalent in multiple sort of uh, shells, especially the ones that are incompatible with Bash and its ilk, um, that's a that's a pretty tall order, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I I think, at least from my perspective, both from talking to you over the years and from reading about Fish, it certainly sounds like there's a lot to recommend it, especially the scripting language, which you just called out a moment ago feels a lot more like a modern sort of scripting language or something that's a little bit more, let's say, developer friendly and, and less terse and more symbol oriented than, you know, something like Bash or Z shell. Uh, so those all, those all sound nice. Uh, at the same time, Wow, defaults certainly are powerful, aren't they? Right. Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> I've never made it through to actually, you know, installing it and trying out, trying it out, and I'm certainly like losing out because of that, I'm sure. Uh, but at the same time, it is a pretty big uh, kind of leap to say, okay, I'm gonna go out there, install this thing, and then learn a new scripting language for for my terminal. Precisely, and I mean, you'd have to be really motivated to do that, or um, be really ticked off at. At, at at bash scripting in general like to 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 put in the effort and um that's one thing that like uh, over the years i have come back to valuing in terms of z shell is there's already so much out there a lot of the bash stuff i can just take in and it just works um and yes and fish uh, what, what i usually got into the habit of doing is okay, I would launch bash and then copy this thing in and then exit bash so that'd be back into fish but that starts to become like why in the world Th this is not helping my productivity it's it's making me context switch and and if there's additional configuration settings that that script is writing to my bash rc not to my fish configuration and so now i have to duplicate what it has done and and so those kinds of things add up um into making something that is hard to recommend unless you are like you are gung-ho into making this your entire environment and you're okay with doing those translations um, and now, like I said, I think the latest version of Fish has a way around that. Maybe I think they've become a little bit more Bash compatible. Um, but that is always something that's coming up is like, oh, if I'm going to adopt this new shell, that's a challenge. Whereas like something like um, this tool, um, Spaceship, or even like a terminal like Fig, um, you're getting into all of these other things of you're, you can still use things that you are comfortable with already. They're just augmenting that to, to improve it versus like having to learn something entirely new. Mm. Well, 
I don't know. I guess this is my next step is to to put this on my <laughs> system and give it a try. I feel like, uh, yeah, right now I have this whole stack of uh, terminal tools uh, that I want to I want to get deeper into. One that I just mentioned a moment ago was, uh, you know, Fig. And I think mm-hmm. we'll probably talk about that in the future because I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't feel like I'm deep into it enough to really say much intelligent about it other than it has amazing autocompletes, which is pretty great. But I know that there's a lot more that it can do. And I'd like to learn a little bit more before doing a deep dive. Yes. I remember at some point when it was when they had the beta for it or the pre um, the wait list and I signed up for it. And then as is usual in our worlds, you know, a million things have happened since then. And my brain does not have enough brain cells in it to remember what I have signed up for. (laughs) So I did notice on their Twitter feed like eons ago now it's like available for general use. So it's like, okay, now it's time to get, you know, maybe when I have a free moment, I'll go go back and play with it because now I don't have to wait for it to be on a wait list. But clearly the wait list did not do its job for me. Not that the wait list is a bad idea, just that my brain didn't come back to follow up on it <laughs> no yeah waitlist i i signed up for something on a waitlist recently and tweeted about it and um I, yeah that that turned into a whole thing where there were other developers in the thread going yeah waitlist or <laughs> why would you ever do a waitlist just let us in and like you know you need to we need the transparency and all this kind of thing and uh, that may have been about a new browser actually I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head and i forget I'm sure I'll remember later. I did go ahead and sign up for the wait list. The problem is that now they basically relegated themselves to my email inbox, which is like the last place you want to be. Exactly. Because, yes. <laughs> Cause as soon as like at some point, I'm sure I'll get that notification and it'll take me weeks to notice if I'm lucky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so much else going on in there. Never mind just, you know, all the other kinds of stuff that's coming through either spam or whatnot. It's easy to follow follow the spam filter, but just your regular work is like, if I don't see it like right then and there, it's going to be gone. And I'm sure that's what happened here is like, Oh, congrats. The wait list is over or you got added. And then, you know, the next bit of work email took, took, uh, took place center stage in my head and and it never came back to it again <laughs> all right well thanks for uh kind of bringing up this really interesting topic uh, there's a lot more i'd want to play with in here so hopefully i'll get a chance to over the over the coming couple of weeks um is there anything else you wanted to cover today yeah so one thing that you mentioned um during this conversation was wanting to code on an ipad mm-hmm. um and It turns out that maybe at least for certain use cases, there is um, a tool out there and, and I will be totally upfront. I'm only just playing around with this myself. So um, there are definitely limitations and challenges here because we all know how Apple works with um, not giving you the control that you would like to have um, in on your environment. Um, But this is basically kind of uh, one of the things that we're talking about is a way to have an editor um, and it uses the VS code tooling underneath the hood. So it's, it's an editor we're already familiar with. Right. Um, And it has a terminal sitting um, in that environment and it's all running locally. Now the magic that they have done to do this, I have suspicions about, I think it's like an emulated virtual, like an emulated virtual machine of some sorts. So um, compatibility in certain areas is not high. Um, But one of their particular use cases that they talk about is like being able to spin up an express surfer. 
and the support necessary to do that with like a, you know, running NPM and NPM install and uh, adding Express, launching it, getting your server running on your local machine. And then, oh, by the way, you have this immediate uh, low latency editor um, on your iPad versus having to screen share that to somewhere else or use the browser to do somewhere else. Um, and so I thought this was really interesting. Um an interesting way of dealing with the limitations of trying to come up with some in, uh, workarounds that Apple is okay with um, to give a little bit more of that power to you. Um, but this, the, the downside is there's still a little bit of the, ed of some edges around there. So it depends upon the tooling that you like to use, whether or not this is going to be useful for you. Okay. Um, and, and just to be clear here, cause, uh, let me see, I pulled it up on app store. So this is called code app. Yes. By a company <laughs> called the base lab limited. Yes. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, good luck searching. Well, actually, if you search for it, it's the, it's the first item. Ooh. I didn't expect it to be the first item in, in Google results. Um, but what's cool about it is it looks very much like VS Code. If you if you look at it on the App Store, you've got the site the open editors on the left hand rail. You've got um, Git integration. Um, you've got an inline terminal that can go in there. Um, and it's not even just about JavaScript. It is making the claim that it can run um, Node.js, Python, PHP, and C and C++ code locally. I have not tried the Python, PHP, or C stuff. Like I've just tried JavaScript. Um, and as long as you are living within the limitations of this virtualized environment, it seems to be okay if, if maybe a little bit slow. Um, but there are ca cases where it falls apart. Like um, one of my repositories um, goes outside the lines a little bit and uses a tool called ESBuild mm -hmm. um, instead of Webpack or Parcel which is something that most applications would kind of do if they're doing like a create React app style app. And ES build just does not even begin to factor into it. You can NPM install it all you want and it's going to fall to pieces because it's relying on something that the emulation doesn't support. But some of the more basic stuff like adding an express or package management from the command line and running a local server, all of that stuff seems to be supported. So like if you're trying to build a React or a Vue app and run that locally, that is at least one step closer to being able to do more work on your machine than having to um, do like a, a code remote a remote session into your other machines. Mm. Yeah, because like, so for GitHub code spaces, like one of the things that, that we talked about um, the you know a few weeks ago is that like it's it's so close to being amazing mm -hmm. yet be, and, and again due to ipad limitations you know it basically it's it's a thin client so you are more or less remote even though it doesn't really feel that way when you're using it like you you know everything's happening on the microsoft slash github side and so it there connect connection becomes a frequent issue that you're dealing with as well as like the amount of like ram allocated to the particular tab in safari that you happen to have open um and mm -hmm. whether or not that's going to get killed as soon as you move away whereas for you know running a native app like this theoretically they wouldn't have those limitations now right. on the native side you know there are again mostly policy limitations that the developer has to deal with. And, and one that has my eye here in the, um, in the description is it, it talks a bit about uh, 
there's a, a short list of supported languages for local execution mm-hmm. and it has specific versions of uh, the, the languages that you called out a moment ago, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you said Python, JavaScript, Node.js, PHP, and then C, C++. So, you know, I, I don't know about most of these languages, but with, especially with node, like the v- versioning is always a moving target, like a, f- yes. a, a very fast moving target. And so I see node, uh, 16.14.2 listed here. Uh, and I think, Hmm, I feel like I've been doing things in node 18 already, not you that know, is true. already. So I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, that's, that's very modern, not, not necessarily a, a problem, but I wonder I wonder what the under the hood the limitation is like why why would it have to be tied to specific versions like do you think those are each one of those have to get reviewed and approved by Apple and and that's why it's limited to just certain version numbers it could be and and like I said I don't I you know I've not seen any of the code behind this or or whatnot but I'm I'm thinking to some of these other um, similar apps. Um, if you take away the editor, so there's a few um, shell-based applications that you can get on the I- iPad. Um, there's one called ISH. Um, there's another one called A Shell. I think is the name of it. Um, and they all take an interesting approach. They they get around Apple's native terminal access by saying, okay, I'm basically going to emulate, say, like a small x86 machine. Um, Or in this particular case, I think it's still doing an ARM emulation, but it's like emulating a small machine just enough to get a terminal running. And so it's really not running the terminal natively. And so my suspicion here is like if, and this was a common problem I had in ISH or A-Shell, was you could get a long way as long as the emulation environment um, supported the commands you were running. But there were often cases where a command might expect that the environment could do something that this thing just didn't have hooks for. And you would get these odd errors that fall out of it. It's like, oh, I, you know, maybe I can't do this, that, the other. Um, and it would just fail to execute. And so part of me wonders if there's not two stories sides to this is that, yes, you know, Apple is going to say you have to be able to have certain versions because I'm imagining these are bundled with the application versus forcing you to download them and everything like that. And then the other one is, is perhaps only that version of Node is known to work for sure. <laughs> and therefore, like Node 18 might be expecting something that is not present in the terminal or emulation environment that it's running. Um, that's my guess. And I think that it that still illustrates the frustrating limitation of of Apple and doing development on Apple devices is like the iPad is clearly capable of so much more and developers can come up with interesting workarounds. Um, and I think it's cool that they could do this and manage to get it past review, but it also is still frustrating that there's this artificial limitation there of that you have to accept a perhaps less performant, slightly older version of your tools in order to make that happen. Yeah, and looking on their website, I see, in addition to those five local languages that you can use in the app, they have support for a vast number of server-side languages, and <laughs> including Fortran. <laughs> um, but also including, so they have another version of Node.js, and you think, ah, this is where the new stuff is. But no, it's actually Node, Node 12. So I'd be... 
curious to know why, you know, what the, what led to that sort of decision. I'm sure there's something, there's a really good reason behind that, but it's just kind of not really what I was expecting to see. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's gotta be down to something along those lines of here's what's, here's what can run and like did node 12. Um, I think in this particular environment, they're running more like an arm style machine. Um, did node 12 run on, would node 12 work okay on a Mac OS arm device? I don't know. Um, so maybe that's why they didn't do that, but it's also interesting. Like node 12 is so old, like how many of your, your stuff would require that running. But then I think about some of the tools that, uh, the tooling that I've used in the past and it's like, Oh, prerequisites node eight to 12 or what have you. And it's like, it, it might work in the most recent versions of Node, but you're if it does, it's only because you're getting really lucky. Um, so it's an interesting choice of some of the versions, um, but especially on the server side stuff, I imagine. I mean, they're very much specific to having environments that they can, you know, they've got everything configured there. The list is quite large, so that has to be a maintenance nightmare in my brain of keeping all these things up to date or keeping known good versions of them working. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, this is definitely something I want to try um, because there's just it's so close to what I've been hoping to see for so long mm-hmm. on iPad. And at least, you know, again, like as much as I'm calling out the versions of Node, I mean, Node 16, I don't think would be a hindrance. Is is 18 the one where you get top level async for the first time or was that 16? I can't remember. You know what? I don't remember. Mm. Um, it might be. Yeah, so which would I, be a downside, but that would be a downside because I, I definitely have code that's already like I was just waiting to not have to, you know, write those init functions and in every like top level index.js. Right. You know, I don't know if <laughs> I'm sure everyone was doing this, but for a long time, you would have like a top level init function that would then wrap your what would be eventually your top level async function. Um, oh yes, I still have. I, I it's not an issue for me because like the the project that I was trying to run in here is is from the era well before even Node sixteen. So it has is full of this stuff of like oh, I'll I'll do call the init and it'll do all the all of the awaits. Um, but it's this we it it is definitely a weird kind of hybrid style of JavaScript of oh I'm going to do a promise here but then I'll do an await everywhere else and it just it it feels a little bit strange. Oh, and it turns out this app is uh, this uh, app code app is open source. Oh, interesting! I hadn't found the open source portion of that yet. Yeah, they have a on their website. They have they have a website if you click through from uh, the Apple App Store, and it there's you know the the top level nav. I think there's oh, only there it four, is. four things in it. Yeah, and you can uh, click through to documentation, and then there's like a section that says uh, building code from source. Code is a capital C, right? For because that's the name of the app. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it shows you how to uh, clone, clone, and I mean, there's like four steps: clone the repo, run the shell script, uh, open the Xcode project, and uh, run the simulator, I guess, and click build. Yeah, it looks like it's. Um, what what I also like here is that they've got um, an early kind of roadmap of of where they're trying to go, but. Um, one thing that just occurred to me, I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me before, but knowing that uh, Visual Studio is called Visual, St- Visual Studio Code, I do wonder how long code, as in the name of the app, uh, will be allowed to <laughs> to be around. Yeah, and no one would be faulted for looking at this app and thinking that this is a this version is VS of Visual, Code. VS Code, yeah. Yeah. 
because it, it definitely looks and feels like it through the rest of the environment. I don't think it is 100% relying on it. I think it's really just the editor portion that is using Monaco. Um, but the rest of the UI definitely takes inspiration from uh, from your VS Code instances. Um, so it would, and that's actually the first thing I thought when I first saw it in the, in the app store. It's like, oh, did did Microsoft do something cool and, and release code app and, and somehow have a, have a relationship with Apple that they could get around all this stuff. And it's like, not quite. Um, it's not Microsoft doing this, but um, it is still really, really cool to, to see these kinds of things. I just wish Apple would let them be totally unleashed in terms of their, their capability. Yeah, me too. And yeah, you know, for now I'll take it. I'm going to try this and uh, see, see how it goes. Um, you know, and, have another data point to compare against like the the github code spaces uh mm-hmm. kind of environment for coding as well which again like i've gotten i've gotten tons of mileage out of already uh so i'm i'm, I'm a huge fan of that approach it's just that the few the few areas where it's not great due to having to be in safari and the limitations that come along with that um, can be a real pain to deal with. So what I'm curious about is on this side, uh, it's less sort of like, um, am I able to, is is the iPad going to give enough resources to this native app to yeah. like have it feel nice? But instead, um, I think the question's a little bit more about the feature depth and mm-hmm. like what I can expect in terms of support um, right. for, for, what, for whatever I'm trying to do in my projects. Yeah, and and to be totally fair, that is not a question that I've had a whole lot of time to investigate either. The first project I tried um, already had colored so far outside of the lines that actually it's a pain in the rear to get running in a on a desktop. So it I did not expect it to work um, because it was trying all sorts of crazy things. Um, one of these days I need to clean it up and make it make it an easier project to build. Um, so I, that didn't surprise me, but um, I am definitely going to be trying it out for some other simpler ones. And um, if I can even just get something that that gives me, you know, an easy way to do some basic NPM installs, get a server running and the editor feels nice, like it's it's nice and modern and I'm not having to switch everywhere to 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 write code and then hop into somewhere else and and preview it. Um this, this already feels like it has a lot of potential. Um, and so I'm hoping um, that it continues to get um, some development. And it looks like at least online, in terms of if you look at the GitHub repo, it looks to be getting frequent releases. Um, but I will say this isn't the first time that I've seen an app like this. There used to be an app on the App Store called PlayJS yep. that you can't find anymore. Um, so I think they've they've gone off and, and I don't blame them. It's like apps are hard to support um, long-term and especially in these cases like open source and, and whatnot. I, I can't imagine there's a lot of money in these apps. Um, and um, it was a similar kind of environment, although it was like a node, if I remember right, it was a node 10, maybe node 12 environment. Um, and the editor was definitely not like a VS code editor. It was its own homegrown thing, but it was cool. And it would let you do some of these things. Um, but I, it will be interesting to see what the long-term prospects are here. I'm hoping it has a long life ahead of it. Yeah, and you you had recommended me play JS at one point, and I I played around with that, and for for its time, it was really really cool. It's like tantalizingly cool. Mm-hmm. I think um you know one of the areas where it felt difficult was that it didn't 
even attempt, and if I recall correctly, it didn't seem to attempt to have a terminal environment. Right. So instead, like you had to like select certain scripts you wanted yes. to run from your project in like a drop down menu or something. And um, I always had a lot of trouble um, installing npm mm-hmm. dependencies. So yeah, aka node modules. Uh, I don't know if I ever actually quite figured that out. And by the time I was really trying to dig in, because I was like, all right, today's the day I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to master this app so that I can just take my you know coding projects wherever I want on my iPad. Well, it seemed about the time that PlayJS was starting to, I don't know, disappears the right word because I'm not sure what its current state is. But my understanding is that that app was purchased by some other company. Oh, if, if that I would explain right. a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe that, that technology might have been getting baked into some other application yeah. or something. And I don't know that at that point, I kind of, it felt like there was a little writing on the wall in terms of like, well, maybe this isn't the place that, that I wanted to spend my time going any deeper until there was a definitive sort of future for that uh, application. But it's, it's been probably six months since I've looked at it. Yeah. Well, and it was definitely very opinionated about like how you had a project set up and in some cases, I'm sure if you if you if you matched the opinion, you might have a reasonably good experience. But it also took like um, added in things like window management and all you know, almost like a desktop style environment. And when really what I'm looking for and what I'm hoping this app will be is, uh, over the long haul is like, give me a, a VS Code like editor in which I'm already productive. Give me a terminal so I can do npm install. I don't need additional UI to help me configure my 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 package JSON. I already know how to do that. Um, give me just the tools to say npm install, npm start, and let me go from there. Um, and at least for um, certain classes of projects, which maybe aren't going into um, alternative build solutions that are out there, it feels like this might have a chance of being that. Um, so I'm very eager to, to play with it some more. So definitely not saying it, it is the answer to all of our questions and all of our woes of iPad development, but it feels like there's 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 some potential here that I definitely am, am eager to explore. Well, awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing a couple of really cool things. We got to talk about like, uh, like, you know, uh, shell environments and, uh, you know, tools to use when we're working in the command line, and also a potential uh, viable option for coding on the iPad. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, this like really both of these things scratch an itch in a way that I'm yes. pretty stoked about. So I've got some fun things to try this next week. Absolutely. Yes. And so I will be very curious to hear to hear your experiences. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'd Rather Be Scripting. If you love scripting, terminals, Z shell, JavaScript development, and other random technology tangents as much as we do, we'd love to hear from you. You can always leave a review on your preferred podcasting platform, or you can reach out to us via the social links on our website, I'dRatherBeScripting.com. Until next time, I'd rather be scripting.